Hey, one more thing before you go. On this Sunday flashback, I want to share with you a fantastic story about the people who started the Warriors Heart Foundation, the first and only private and accredited residential treatment program in the U.S. for warriors only, active duty military, veterans, first responders, EMTs, paramedics. This foundation helps American warriors struggling with drug and alcohol addiction and other co-occurring issues like PTSD, mild TBI, trauma, depression, and more. This episode originally aired April 1st, 2022, and in honor of this 4th of July, we want to thank each and every one of these individuals for their service and commitment to freedom. So welcome to One More Thing Before You Go. PTSD, depression, mood swings, alcohol, drugs, escape, on the verge of suicide. Where do you go when you're a warrior who has given your life to helping others to get help for ourselves? We as warriors, that includes veterans, active duty military, active and retired law enforcement, firefighters, EMTs, paramedics, first responders, we all volunteer for our job. We chose to serve others and put our life on the line to protect and serve, to defend the freedom that we all have and take care of the injured. Sometimes those horrors of this world catch up to us and we need help. Not everyone understands, but if you stay tuned, we're going to talk with an individual that walked that path for more than 20 years, which culminated in a very unique facility that is designed to help warriors and their families get the help that they need. I'm your host, Michael Hurt, and this is That Thing About Warriors' Hearts, Warriors Helping Warriors. My guest in this episode is Tom Spooner. He's a former Special Forces Delta operator and a Warriors Heart co-founder. Tom Spooner's service to our nation in this U.S. Army spanned nearly 21 years, including tours in Iraq and Afghanistan. He's got an amazing journey, which we're going to talk about. Since retiring from the military in 2011, Tom Spooner has successfully enabled thousands of warriors to acknowledge their struggles, seek treatment, and understand that they are not alone. He's dedicated his life to healing fellow warriors and speaks from the heart about our struggles with chemical dependencies, PTSD, mild TBI, which he had when he suffered some conduct injury, suicide prevention after he almost took his own life and got help from his fellow warriors, we've all been there, and more. His military career included time in the 82nd Airborne as a Green Beret in the U.S. Armed 7th Special Forces Group and ultimating the U.S. Army 1st Special Forces Operational Detachment Delta as an operator. Spooner joined forces with successful treatment providers Josh and Lisa Lannon to open Warrior's Heart in 2016. Warrior's Heart is the first and only private and accredited residential treatment program in the U.S. for warriors only. That's active duty military, veterans, first responders, and EMTs and paramedics. It helps American warriors struggling with drug and alcohol addiction and other co-occurring issues like PTSD, multi-TBI, trauma, depression, and more. Today, we're going to have a conversation with Tom to learn more about his journey and how he helps Warriors Heart be created in this fantastic environment to heal. Welcome to the show. Hey, Michael, thank you for having me on the show. 
Absolutely. Uh, what a fantastic journey you've had, actually. You, you, uh, it's been very in-depth. You are a warrior. You're a combat veteran. You have uh, made it through many tours, uh, as I just said, through, uh, through combat and made it home and uh, had some personal struggles of your own, and you have overcome. So well done. Thank you very much. Yeah, it was definitely with the help of a whole lot more than me. <laughs> definitely didn't do it on my own. Yeah, it's kind of a family, isn't it? Absolutely is. It's kind of the family business, you know. Oh, 100%. I know that that uh, you and I had a little brief conversation prior to uh, us taking the interview, but uh, I like to kind of start at the beginning so our viewers kind of understand where you come from and how you got to where you got because it is a journey. Uh, where'd you grow up? So I grew up uh, in a little town uh, called Belle Glade, Florida. Um, it's on the southern end of Lake Okeechobee. Uh, it's right next to Clewiston and Pahokee and a bunch of and Chosen and a bunch of other towns you've probably never heard of. Uh, so it was that that kind of a small town. And um, uh, I have a younger brother and a younger sister, and. And, uh, and I had, like we had talked about before, my, uh, my grandfather uh, was in law enforcement for uh, 30, 30 years. I was a state trooper in Alabama, state trooper in Florida, and then uh, for the police department in the city of Belgrade. And so I grew up, you know what I mean, in that kind of environment. Did you have anybody else within your family that was military? I did. I had a... Uh, I had an uncle that was a three-tour Vietnam veteran, and then my grandfather on my mother's side uh, was a World War II veteran and spent time in the Philippines, uh, you know, during the island campaigns, but he was in the Army also. So those were kind of my military uh, mentors and kind of heroes as far as uh, uh, wanting to join. And I've always just wanted to join the military. It was just something I've, I've always wanted to do it for as long as I can remember. So in lieu of college, you decided to join the military right out of high school? Well, that was my plan, uh, was to join right out of high school. Um, but my, uh, my uncle and, uh, and my grandfather were both enlisted. And, you know, and they said, uh, well, if you're going to join the military, you need to be an officer. Uh, so you need to go to college and uh, get a degree, you know, and be an officer. And I said, okay, well, how I was raised and how I grew up during that time, you know, you did what you were told. And, uh, so I, I pretended to go to college for about a year and a half, uh, which, which, which was a disaster. Uh, I had a lot of really good times, but, um, it, it really, I didn't really, uh, succeed in that endeavor. So in 1990, uh, you know, I, I decided to stop my, uh, college route and, uh, enlisted into the United States Army. Did you know what you wanted to do? What was your MOS when you first went in? Did you have a, did you pick one out or did they pick one for you? I did. All I ever wanted to do whenever I came in was, uh, was be a ranger. Like I just wanted to go to the ranger regiment. I just wanted to be a ranger. It was in all the soldier of fortune magazines that I would read all the, you know, all the books that I was reading was all the Vietnam vet books. And, uh, it was just my sole focus was be into infantry and uh, and to go into the Ranger Regiment. And uh, the funny thing is, out of my whole military career, uh, that's the only thing that didn't happen. 
<laughs> life life kind of throws you those little curveballs occasionally <laughs> yeah yeah and the uh everybody's got recruiter stories you know as uh, my recruiter lied to me and you know said i would get this and that and everything but um but i did i uh, i joined in 1990 but that my you know my family influence is it's uh in all the services you know whether it's the military firefighters law enforcement emt it's uh you know the majority of the time 80 percent rule you know is uh it's a family business you know everybody kind of gets into the family business you know and uh and ours is one of service you know and uh and so uh that's that's what i got into and i loved it uh you know and i was pretty good at it from the get-go yeah the i had mentioned to you earlier there's a on your website which we'll give you guys the website here in a little bit but and it'll scroll across the bottom when it comes back to you again. But um, I would highly recommend everybody to kind of take a look at that uh, trader that's on there because it tells a little bit about your journey there as well and has some uh, some visuals that uh, are very helpful to kind of understand where you came from and, you know, what you had, what you had done in your career. Um, you, you did many tours uh, in combat, correct? That is correct. Where did you start off? So when I when I first came into the military, it was uh, uh, when I was at basic training is whenever the Gulf War kicked off. Uh, so right out of basic training, AIT jump school, uh, I went to the 82nd. Uh, and within a, after about a month and a half of being at the 82nd, I immediately shipped over to uh, Saudi Arabia. And then uh, for the next six months, you know, was in uh, the Gulf War. Um, so that was my initial entry into the military, uh, you know, straight from civilian life right into combat. So it obviously set the tone for the rest of my career, you know, from that point on. And, uh, so I ended up, uh, that was the first piece of it. And then my next combat experience was obviously post nine 11 and, uh, and, you know, I ended up doing 40 months total time of combat. I did 12 rotations, uh, one to Afghanistan, 11 to Iraq, uh, until I retired, you know, in 2011. I know that uh, you had talked about, you, you've had some TBI uh, during mm-hmm. that time period there. Uh, I know that TBI has probably been around for since, I mean, as far as we, got, as we can remember with war, World War II veterans may have had uh, traumatic brain injury, but they called it something different than they call it now. Um, when did you first realize that you possibly had some TBI? Yeah. So it was, um, I know definitively whenever I, I got it, it was a, uh, uh, eight, like a, a 82 millimeter mortar round, probably about 20 yards from me. And, um, cause, and how I know that it was definitively then was because I can tell you what my life was like up until that moment. And then I can tell you what my life has been like after that moment. Uh, but at the time, which that was September, 2006, uh, at the time, you know, it wasn't uncommon, you know, everybody that I had knew known had been blown up, uh, you know, so it was obviously a significant event that occurred along with that. But, uh, but I just, you know, it was like, okay, uh, you just keep going, right. That's what we do on the job. Uh, in the professions that we're in is like, Hey, you figure it out and you just adjust, adapt and you, and you keep going. And I did that all for four more years, but whenever, 
it came time in 2010 because uh, we had talked about it before the show. You know, my uh, I had tw- I had 20 years in you know normal retirement, but uh, I had planned on staying in for like 30 years. I was a super lifer and had no desire to not do anything other than what I was doing. But by the end there, uh, I had a lot of had broken my back, back surgery, shoulder surgery, leg surgery. You know, I mean the normal kind of broken body parts pieces uh but then the big thing was is uh i got all this cognitive therapy i mean cognitive testing that identified that uh i had a significant uh traumatic brain injury um explosive blast wave uh injury which is a little bit different than blood force trauma and so uh i was basically operating at 50 percent of uh processing speed and 50 percent verbal memory uh, so, uh, I had a lot of, I had a lot of what we'll call issues, you know, going on at that time. I would get lost. I wouldn't know where I was at times, big, huge, emotional, uh, mood swings, um, nothing in my behavior as far as, you know, uh, negatively, but, you know, emotionally I wasn't really present. It was just an accumulation, you know, of on the brain side of the house, but then also on the unprocessed trauma piece of it what I like to say you know they call it post-traumatic stress they have a bunch of different Mm -hmm. names for it but it's basically just uh you know emotions that I hadn't processed that were just kind of locked up inside so so I had to once I got all that diagnosed correctly you know then I spent about the next four months in uh cognitive therapy vestibular therapy psychological therapy I even had to get on meds for uh, probably about eight months because I had a little bit of a chemical imbalance going on. And, uh, but the beauty of that, that stuff is, is that it works, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Were you still operating? You weren't still operating at that time, were you? No, at that time it was, I'd made the decision that, uh, well, the decision was made for me, you know, that, uh, Hey, I no longer can physically, physically, mentally, emotionally, you know, handle the profession that I was in. I mean, I could have taken another job, but for me is, I was only joined the military to do the job. And if I was going to do something outside of that scope of work, then why would I be in the military? You know? So, uh, so I ended up getting out, but like we had talked about before, it was, I had to deal with, you know, a lot of that stuff being and not be able to do what I love doing. Yeah. That's very difficult when we're told, um, you know, I relate to you in certain perspectives when I walked out of the fire police and pension board, when they handed down my, um, mandatory disability retirement and when my wife and I left there I broke down in the car because I I felt like I just lost my identity Absolutely. completely and, and it wasn't by choice it was them taking it away from me and it really had a profound effect upon me um, in fact <laughs> on a lighter note in fact it had it so much yeah. that I was calling so much stuff in they were going Sarge just put your feet up and relax we got this <laughs> quit calling stuff in (laughs) yeah um but yeah it it, that presents a whole new set of problems to warriors who um have lived that life and that was there because it's not just a job it's who you are completely you know and it's difficult to let that go or be told that you have to let that go for any particular reason and um it uh it's kind of a, a life adjustment within itself isn't it it absolutely is. I mean, that whole, you know, uh, like you said, you can't, 
I had done a really good job of, uh, of broadening myself. You know, I mean, uh, I had, I had struggled with uh, alcoholism at an early age and, uh, I ended up getting sober in 1992, uh, you know, with 12 step program and, uh, fellowship and all that kind of stuff. And, um, so I had been part of that the, the whole time. So I had a lot of emotional tools in the tool belt, mental tools. I had support groups. I had a lot of things uh, in favor for me. Uh, however, that didn't make it any easier, uh, that transitioning of, of like, wow, a huge part of my identity and who I was and what I was, you know, laid in, in the job. I, I have an incredible family. I mean, I'm, my wife and I have been together for, this year will be like 33 years. Congratulations. Uh, two sons, you Us know. Too. Uh, yeah. So it's, so I had all these different things. However, it was, uh, I had to define uh, what my next purpose would be. Uh, you know, once I was separated, you know, from, from my job, from what it was mm-hmm. that I was doing, you know, I had to now uh, define like, Hey, why am I getting up in the morning now? Why am I, you know, pushing through my struggles. Why am I trying to get better? You know, I had to, I had to define that for myself. Yeah. Define new purpose. Yeah. Define new purpose. Uh, and that's sometimes it's really difficult, especially when you're indoctrinated and inbred within that for so long, it's difficult to move past it. Um, and to, and to try to redefine yourself. And unfortunately some, some can't. And that's where I think, you know, warrior's heart comes into play because, when we get to a point where we have that that struggle with trying to hold on to the identity that we were and or what transpired during that identity that uh you know we we need to talk to somebody that really understands from the inside out and not not just from a clinical perspective yeah absolutely and it's I always go back to what the language that that we're familiar with, right? Like on the job, and and most of us are familiar with like, uh, hey, if I'm get of injury, you know what I mean? Of uh, hey, it's self aid. There's buddy aid, uh, and then there's call. You know what I mean? A, a medic or EMT or paramedic. You know that's beyond our level of of self of care. You know, and um, and you know, so that's like what you said. A lot of times, uh, just the the, our culture and the personalities that each of us have that made us really good at the job uh, also kind of get in the way of, uh, of, of seeking and asking for help. You know, well, like because, you said, you said earlier, it's kind of a push down and override. You push down your override to get the job done. Exactly. And, and that's in both of our professions. You know, it, yes. it's you push down override and I broke, I broke my finger, two fingers while I was arresting somebody for that stolen a car was violent and and so forth and you can't just stop and go ow right let me go take care of this you just have to keep doing stuff until you get it done you know even after i get hit by the car when the suspect hit me by the car we still arrested him and took care of the job then then i kind of collapsed and went, I can't oh, do right. this anymore. <laughs> I'm done, but I got you. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, that's what, you know, and that's the one thing that, that the most of our, our population, you know, uh, you know, it's really, 
I'll just speak for myself, you know, and it was, that was the big part of the struggle of seeking help. Uh, it had nothing to do with ego. Uh, it had nothing to do with me of fear of talking to psychologists or getting help. Like, like I said, I'd already, that was already right. part of my lifestyle. The thing that really, I couldn't wrap my brain around was how did I go from the guy that's providing help, you know, to others who's helping others and now I'm the guy that needs help. It was, uh, it was just like I said. No, there wasn't any ego. There wasn't any stigmas. There wasn't. I just really had a. Plus, I had the TBI going on, right. so that affected on my executive decision making functioning. So, so it required another warrior, you know, uh, to help me along the way. You know, we we say that. Uh, well, we changed the narrative about it, but you know, a lot of times you'll people say like hey brother if you need any help you know just let me know and it's like let's pause and think about that a second you and i just described how number one we're not going to let the team down right and we're going to get the job done and then number two i'm not going to ask for help because that that's part of of how i can get things done and then now i'm going to say Hey, if you need something, let me know. And it's like, hang on a second. We just have to switch that around where, you know, I mean, I, we know our brothers and sisters that, that, that are in need, you know, and it's up to us to kind of get in into their business, <laughs> yep. what they will be allowed, you know, obviously grown people make grown decisions, but, uh, but it's just, a, it's really, and, and we had talked about it before the show, you know, we've lost you know, friends, family members, uh, whether it's the suicide, self-medication, you know, results of the profession. It's like, uh, it's like, hey, it's our, our responsibility as much as we can, you know what I mean, to be doing what we can to provide what it is that they need and not just to let them go quietly in the darkness, you know? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Profound, what you're saying. It's, it's humbling. It's humbling. Because it's difficult, as you said, for us that are there. When everybody's running away from, we're the ones that are running into. Yep. And it's difficult to have to say, I'm sorry, can you pick me up and help me walk to the bathroom? Yeah, we don't even know how to do that. You know what I mean? It's not like in our vocabulary. It's not, uh, you know, I mean the folks that are in the profession fully understand that, you know, and it's because a lot of people, they'll confuse that with ego, you know, and they'll confuse it with being hard headed and stubborn. And well, that may be a little bit of truth to the hard headed and stubborn piece, but it's, uh, but it's really not. It's like, I, I, I had to be trained on how to uh, ask for help and, uh, you know, take care of myself. Because to me, it was, it seems selfish, right. you know, it, it, you know, I mean, it, my job is, yep. uh, you know, like the, the law enforcement saying protect and serve, right? Like, exactly. that was, that was from in my bones, you know what I mean? That's what I love and enjoy and, and everything. And, and so that's why I had to, it was part of my training and part of my skill set to learn that, hey, it's okay, uh, 
to take care of yourself and to do the things that you need to do so that you can be healthy in mind, body, and spirit. But the intent is, is so I can be there for others. You know, that's how I had to make it make sense in my own head is because what would jump into my mind is like, I'm being selfish and self-centered is like, no, uh, you're doing these things that you need to do so you can be there for others, you know, and that's to date. That's the narrative that, that I have to use on myself, you know, in order to uh, do the things that I need to do, uh, because it always comes down to one thing for me is, is that I don't really care that much about myself, but I care about you. Uh, and I care about not letting my family down. I care about not letting my team down. Uh, so therefore, I have to take care of myself, but that's what we did on the job too. You know, that's why exactly. we maintained physical fitness. That's why we maintained our marksmanship. All the different trainings that we did was so that we could be there for the job and for each other. Yeah, exactly. That we had each other. That we counted on each other. We had each other. There were family, not just coworkers. Family, and uh, it. The environment, I can't remember this individual's name, and I should have remembered it from the documentary, uh, which I'm going to have a link to the documentary in, in the show notes so everybody can see this. You have to watch this documentary. It is a profound opportunity for people to understand what warriors go through and the struggles and the issues that, and I won't even need to call them issues really, the the obstacles that they need to overcome in order to ask for help. And the fact that this environment was created by you and your partners to allow that obstacle to be removed by people we trust. Mm, absolutely. That, that's one thing that, that my wife and I all saw in that because, you know, we all trust, we in this environment, we in this job, we on, on this job, my job, your job, uh, the firefighters, paramedics, we're all within a certain unique family, but we all walk the similar path. And Absolutely. we're all brothers and sisters within that because we're all serving and protecting in various forms. And it's difficult to step outside of that family to ask for help. And when we do step mm -hmm. outside that family to ask for help, it's in, in, I know that you know this as well as I do. Those, in no disrespect to any clinician that is out there trying to yeah. help. Uh, my niece is a psychologist. So I, you know, so I have no disrespect, but they don't always really understand from our perspective, right? Because our perspective you know, is different. Yeah, and that's the one thing that, um, uh, because of the amount of time that I've spent with our population, you know, when it comes to healing and clinicians and everything, it's. And we talked a little bit about it before the show, like just if we were talking about post-traumatic stress is um, the thing is, is that, you know, we, that has to be broken down. And, um, and like you said, for the effectiveness of the clinicians and their approach uh, of healing, you know, and processing trauma is, is uh, it's broken down into two categories, you know, and that's victims and volunteers. And, um, you know, in, in, in victims, you know, is obviously that an event has happened, you know, to them. Obviously with us, uh, event, you know, things have happened to us, but we've volunteered to be in that position. So if I'm trying to go 
do some mental and emotional work and uh and you approach me as if i'm a victim you know that's never going to work <laughs> because uh it, it's the wrong approach but if you approach me as hey you volunteered to put yourself in this position and this trauma this traumatic event occurred so let's let's process it in that manner not from a victim standpoint but from a volunteer standpoint you know and then it begins to uh to make more sense. I love that. I love that. I was going to bring that up to you when watching that documentary, that statement within itself touched my heart. It touched my wife's heart because, you know, we, we don't think of ourselves as victims. Like you said, we chose, we chose to do what we do. We chose to take that profession. We chose to help other people. We chose their, chose to be there for those other people. And uh, what I like about, this facility, the warrior's heart facility in itself is the fact that it approaches um, healing from that perspective. And there are individuals there that have gone through it themselves and they understand why you're there. They don't have to ask you, why did you put yourself in that position? Why did you run into the firefight? Why did you run into the fire? Why did you run towards the bullets when everybody's running away from the bullets? Right. Because they understand and that's, that. and like you said, that's the one of the key things about uh, keeping that population. Because, like you said, there there's a there's a great billet, there's a great bit of difference between, let's say, what a combat veteran uh, has experienced, and what a, a stateside uh, paramedic has has experienced. That's true. You know, there's very different physical locations you know foreign countries all of that stuff however the things that are eating up eating us up inside are all the same they're they're absolutely the whole all the same and that's the humanity aspect of it you know what i mean it's always whether it was the car wrecks whether it was the innocents getting killed whether it was the things that just didn't make any sense you know and how that affected our humanity like you said we volunteered for the job got it you know what I mean? We volunteered for right. the job. However, we're still humans. And uh, and unless we're a psychopath or a sociopath, you know, we're, there's going to be things that we run into that, uh, that you know, or that that don't just set well with us. And, and we need a professional's help, or I have needed professional's help that time just to help me connect the dots, you know, and just to help yeah. me uh but it has to be the right people. Like you said, I, I've had my fair share of, uh, of therapists or clinicians that, that just weren't a right fit for me, you know, uh, but then I have had some that were absolutely the right fit. And that's what gave me the progress that I needed. Well, Annette, I think that <clears throat> let's, let's talk about a little bit how we keep talking about the foundation, the, the facility, the facility, and the facility. Um, right. How did you come about Warrior's Heart, Warrior's Healing Warriors? That, I mean, what an amazing name as well. Can we talk about how you got to there? Yeah, absolutely. And it's a uh, the super long story because it's my whole life. Uh, and it's Josh and Lisa Lannan's. It's their whole life's work uh, and my whole life's work and everything that I've experienced, you know, coming together. Uh, and that's why we were part where we are partners, you know, where I can't do what they 
can do, they can't do what I can do. So together in a partnership, it, you know, we forge warrior's heart, you know, and that is, is that, uh, you know, what warrior's heart is, is a 42 day inpatient treatment facility, uh, for the warrior class, which defined as those that face life and death as a, on a daily basis as a profession, you know, that's, that's who goes to warrior's heart. And, um, and it's not a military isk in any kind of way. However, the, the main thing that we do there is to remind every, to remind them of who they are. Uh, you know, everybody comes to us at the bottom end of, of where they're at in their lives. You know, no one comes to a rehabilitation center on a upswing, you know, it's, uh, it's, we all come there, at the, the lowest parts that we've been, you know, so everything that we do there is about reminding them of who they are, uh, not who they are not, you know, we want to get rid of those pieces that no longer serve. And, uh, and that's what we do there. And that population, you know, People talk about peer support network. They talk about mentorship uh, and those kind of things. But we all know that that occurs naturally uh, in our profession. You know, um, we naturally help out the new guy. We naturally help out someone who's down and needs to be up. You know, so all of those things just occur naturally uh, with with our population. You know, the interesting part is it's. Uh, Lisa was a, uh, uh, was it Las Vegas police officer? Yes. Was yes sure so was. she comes from the law enforcement family as well. Yeah, absolutely. And Lisa also, uh, as a result of uh, war, meaning uh, her, her father was a Vietnam veteran and or is a veteran, Vietnam veteran and, uh, and her mother was a Vietnamese uh, translator. Uh, so they met, you know, in war and then, uh, and he was also in law enforcement after he got out of the military and, uh, you know, and that's where the unique capabilities that uh, me, Josh and Lisa bring to the table, uh, you know, cause I couldn't run the facilities, you know, Josh and Lisa had successfully run treatment facilities in Utah, Arizona, and then now in Texas, uh, successfully which is a key word with high quality of care uh you know for 15 years prior to me meeting them you know was, so and that was for drug and alcohol abuse and counseling and things like that right absolutely yeah uh, but it was open to uh to everyone you know and that's what they they noticed whenever they were running their facilities you know when they for an example when they had law enforcement officers you know come to the facilities you know it the words that they use is like, well, I kind of have to be undercover in my own treatment because, you know, mm. the person sitting across the table from them was a drug dealer or, you know, someone that they would be arresting. So, yep. it, so it didn't create a, obviously a peer network, even though the same things have to be done. And for, in order for healing to occur, there's, there's no hope. It's just like a, a combat veteran sitting next to a business guy, you know, right. um, Hey, they may be great and they can, share in certain things, but there's not going to be a, a peer network that can be created when you put folks that are like-minded and like professions, because they already have a stable platform to move forward with, you know? Well, and it puts, it puts it, puts them in a safe environment. I mean, within their mind and their hearts, they're in a safe environment because they grew their, their job was that their family were that. 
So you feel more yeah. safe around your family, you know, even if you had not been in combat with them or on the street with them in any form, um, you still know that they carry the same blood, so to speak. And exactly. It, it know, makes it, it that more same comfortable. Brothers and sisters. Yeah, it makes it much more comfortable. So the 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 perspective of of Warrior's Heart, um, when you approach them to to create this environment, uh, mm-hmm. at that time that they did that, they had already been just to clarify, they had already been uh, building the facilities that they were operating successfully uh, with the yes. the those kind of counseling. But you brought the unique approach to Warriors helping Warriors, which then developed into the Warriors Heart facility, which is a huge facility down in Texas, correct? It is. It's a 543-acre ranch in Bandera, Texas. And and Bandera is about an hour northwest of San Antonio. Um, We started, uh, we got our license for the facility in April of 2016. And to date, uh, we've had almost 1,700 warriors come through the facility. Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. Um, yeah, the the documentary, uh, again, I keep talking about it because it just touched me so much. I want to make sure that that's going to be in the show notes. Everybody can check it out. It's on Amazon Prime. And I would really encourage everybody to check it out for the basis if you either are going through it yourself or if you have somebody that you are uh, family with or friends with and know that they need help, this is a wonderful opportunity to help them to heal um, from a very unique perspective. Uh, which, yeah, and you know, what I love about the documentary also is that it really uh, showcases, you know, which is the heart of Warrior's Heart, which is our staff. Uh, you know, yeah. I mean, it's the humans. Yeah, the facility is incredible and it's wonderful and it's beautiful and it uh, creates an environment uh, of healing the way that warriors heal, you know, an, uh, opposite of a hospital environment. Mm-hmm. But it really showcases the staff members and their stories and why, why are they, you know, committing their lives to uh, serving those that serve us, you know, and, uh, and it's just, it's just amazing. I can't speak enough about the human beings, uh, otherwise known as our staff, you know, that, uh, that daily uh, put in the work, uh, taking care of those that take care of us, you know. Which is an amazing thing. And you, you have a foundation that also is with that, correct? Or associated we do. with we that? Have, we have the Warriors Heart Foundation because, uh, and it was created out of necessity. <laughs> you know, um, Warriors Heart is completely separate than Warriors Heart Foundation. Uh, and the intention behind that was, is that, you know, it's governed by HIPAA law. It provides that level of anonymity that legally provides with that with uh because with the professions we know how super important it is because of the stigmas that are out there of seeking help uh and then warriors heart foundation you know our populations don't really make a lot of money (laughs) so that's a fact we knew there was going to we knew there was going to be a need to uh fill in the gaps uh to to pay for care uh that currently did it didn't exist which I think is a wonderful thing because, like you said, it this profession doesn't yours or mine doesn't pay very much, and especially if if you go out on a disability, that that uh, that stability with that salary, even as yes. as little as it was, doesn't go very far. So that's a really uh, what a fan, 
an amazing opportunity for somebody to get help and not have to worry about whether or not they're going to be able to pay for it. Absolutely. Yeah, because it's uh, that's that's the one the biggest thing that we're proud of. Or I'm personally proud of is no one has ever not received treatment uh, at Warriors Heart due to money. You know whether we've had a, you know we take Tricare, we take insurances, we take all these different aspects of it, but also there's between the Gary Sinise Foundation, between all these other benevolent organizations, uh, the Avalon funds, all these different folks that step forward uh you know that really right. want to take care of the people that take care of us you know um uh it's just an amazing uh view into humanity you know of as far as like hey let's do what needs getting done we've got folks that are busted up a little bit let's let's get them healed up trained up and back into the fight you know whether that's back on the job or whether that's back into their lives, you know, and, and to be able to, cause that's what it's all about is like, right. how do we re-engage and get back into the business of living and living fully, you know, not just kind of existing and self-medicating and just kind of getting by. It's like, Hey, let's, let's live, uh, for what we fought for, you know, what we all put in the blood, sweat and tears for, uh, and in honor and memory of, of those that aren't here with us. You know, right. uh, what better way to honor them than to live a, a full life, you know, but uh, many of us, myself included, needed additional training <laughs> in how to handle emotions and, and behaviors and, uh, and not self-medicate and that kind of stuff. You know, it's a learned skill, much like pistol shooting. Oh, exactly. 100%. have to learn how to be a human being again. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. Uh, and that's tough. You know, and that's, uh, you know, for a lot of us that uh, it sounds really simple, but it's like, wow, you know, uh, I don't have that identity of the job anymore, you know, for whatever reason. Uh, I don't have that ability. It's like I have to define my new purpose and we are people of service. So I have to immediately get back in to serving, you know, uh, obviously not in the same way, right. you know, because that that time is over, you know, I. Uh, like my time, I, I had a great run, you know, uh, I enjoyed every bit of it. I wish it would have went longer, but it didn't, uh, it ended. And so like now I, I have the opportunity to define, you know, what it is that I want to, I'll always want to do that job. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. that was the, that was the job of my life, you know, uh, that'll never change. You know, I'll think of the glory days and I'll think of the tragedies and the great yep. stuff and I'll talk to buddies about it. However, it's super important for me that I don't live there. It's okay to visit on occasion, you know, and uh, and remember and enjoy all that stuff and, you know, shed some tears, whatever. But however, it's all about like, man, I, I've really got to get into the business of life, right. you know, and uh, and what does that mean? And And to know that it's okay you know, because this is when it when we talk about folks struggling and, and myself, it's like, um, you know, if we needed additional drivers training or, or if we needed additional pistol training or rifle training or tactics, you know, we wouldn't hesitate for a second to go to a subject matter expert and say, like, hey, you know, we need to get from this level to the next level. Would you help us? And like, Absolutely. You know what I mean? And um, so the thing is, is we've always done that. Now I just need to apply that same mindset to my own personal growth. Uh, 
you know what I mean? And to realize, just kind of desensitizing it. It's like, well, I don't want to go ask for help. It's like, well, did you ever have someone instruct you on how to shoot a pistol better? <laughs> it's like, well, yes, I have. And it's like, okay, well, what's the difference? Uh, what's the difference? That's a great way there to look no at that. There is no difference. Yeah, there is no difference. That's a great way to look at that. It's just putting another tool in your belt. That's it. You yeah, know, and, uh, and I get it. You know, there's, there's big stigmas out there. Uh, you know, on the military side, on the law enforcement, you know, liabilities and this and that. It's like, hey, there's also, you know, if I identify that I need to uh, additional training in certain areas of my life, you know, uh, hey, I can seek that, you know, uh, off the books if necessary, you know. Well, and, and again, like we said earlier, we're all taught to push down and override, push down and override, push down and override, but you can only push down so much, you can only override so much before it I kind of culminates into one big thing and that will come out in anger, come out in, you know, uh, mood swings, that'll come out in alcohol, it'll come out in drug use, it'll come out in other, you know, maybe detrimental to your health issues with regard to how to deal with those things when they boil to a point. Um, and I think that the the structure that you have created uh, is a is a, a, a nice way to kind of get people involved in taking control of their life back. Absolutely. And the, and the thing is, is out at Warrior's Heart too, it's, you know, it's not a like a, a get along and get by kind of course. Like you have to, you have to earn it. You have to put in the work, you know, you have to earn that coin because we have a coin out at, there at the end, you know, and, um, but, but again, our population understands that, right. you know, where like, Hey, you have to you have to accomplish these different tasks in order to receive results. Uh, you don't get results by just hanging out. So yeah. that's, See you next that's week. one thing we're really proud of. There is is if you're just thinking that you're going to come out there and just kind of do what you want and hang out, uh, you'll get written up three times, you know, and then you'll go to a behavioral board and then you'll get a behavior contract and then you'll be given several opportunities to, to, Hey, correct, you know, whatever behavior it is. Then if you, if you choose to refuse to, you know, follow the rules, you know, and, and do what's required, uh, then you'll have to leave, you know, because, right. uh, and that means something to this population, you know, it to, does. to the, like, I have to, I have to earn it because we know we all appreciate the things that we have to work for. Oh, absolutely. I mean, even, even, even rank. Right. I had, to, I had to earn master patrolman, master patrolman. I had to earn corporal. I had to earn sergeant. You have to earn lieutenant. You have to earn, you know, you have to work your way wherever you're going, you have to earn it and you have to earn it by training and by consequences for actions. And if you fail to do, then you don't receive so I like right. that structure. It's a very, um, well, we're in, we're inbred with it. it. It is developed and evolved within us. That That's the way we look at life. Mm -hmm. Warrior's heart can, at what stage should somebody come to you guys? Is, is there, do you have a limit? Do you have something that if somebody's just starting out and they're going, look, I think I'm on the edge. Um, uh -huh. At what stage can they reach out for help? Well, the, it all depends on the individual because everyone's on a different path, right? And I'll give you the example I have is, is we have folks that are active 
police officers, uh, active duty military members that, uh, you know, they haven't gotten in trouble on the job. Uh, they've got some struggles going on. Uh, they kind of see it coming and they come to get help at Warrior's Heart. So that's one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum that we have is like uh, someone that's a, a homeless veteran or uh, someone from the profession, you know, where they have nothing, they've lived on the streets for years and hey, they need help. One doesn't need any more help than the other. So we meet everyone where they're at. Um, if someone, back to your question, if someone is is wondering where they are, you know, there's, there's all these different outlets. Like, uh, so I go back to like, Hey, self-aid buddy aid, call a medic, you know? So if I can correct whatever it is, that's not working in my life, if I can do that on my own or with a self-help book or a little seminar or something, Hey, that's great. If I try that, Hey, and it didn't work it's still, I'm still not getting the results that I want. Then I'm going to need to go to a professional, you know? And if, then if that doesn't work, then I'm going to need a hard reset, you know, and that's why out at Warriors Hearts, it's 42 days inpatient treatment facility because it's, it's the hard reset where I, everything in life is removed from it. And the only thing that I'm there to work on is myself in the relationship with family members and friends and everything that I need working on. So, so to me, that's kind of the different stages, but um, one of the, one of the best ways to do it too is, is really you don't have to figure it out on your own. Um, like you can give, uh, we have what we call admissions advocates. Uh, so if you call warrior's heart, you'll get an admissions advocate on the phone, you know, and, uh, and they're just not gonna, and they immediately start advocating for the individual, the family member, whoever it is that's calling. And that's even with questions, you know, so you don't have to figure this out on your own. You can call up and talk to an advocate is like, Hey, this is, where I'm at or my loved one's at, you know, what, what's the best thing to, what, what should we do next? You know, what, what should I do? So that way, even from the get go, whether you end up coming to warrior's heart or not, you have that ability of talking to someone that's a subject matter expert in the field. And, and their number one priority is to get what you or your loved one or friend, uh, you know, needs. Uh, so that, that to me is just trying to, make a very simple steps, you know, is, 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 you know, is making that call. Now the, the Orange Heart Foundation is a 501c3 and anybody that's out here that would uh, love to help you guys, they have the same opportunity to be able to help as well, correct? They sure do. And that's at, at warriorsheartfoundation.org. Uh, and you can go up there and you see the different programs that uh, the foundation supports, whether that's, uh, subsidizing treatment costs uh, for treatment, whether it's canine, community members, uh, education. There's a bunch of wonderful things that the Warriors Heart Foundation does. Um, this has been a profound and eye-opening journey, uh, getting to know you and to get to know what you have done and what you've accomplished and how you created this unique environment for healing warriors with warriors. I think that uh, I commend you for, like, well done. I told you it comes from my heart and my wife's heart and my family's heart. Um, you've touched our lives a little bit, and I want to make sure that I can kind of move you forward as best I can to help other 
warriors that are out there. So everything that we talked about, I'll make sure is in the show notes so that people can find you, find the organization and have a phone number to call when um, they need some help so that they can reach out. Uh, I, I really appreciate you. This is one more thing before you go. And um, before we go, do you have any words of wisdom that you can share? Um, the one more thing that I, uh, it's, it sounds cliche, but I know that you'll know that it absolutely is not. And, uh, and that is the one thing, you know, that I would want everyone to know is that you're not alone, uh, in your struggles. Uh, it may feel that way. It may seem that way. Uh, but you'd really be surprised, you know, how many of us that are out there that, uh, that have, have had, if not the same, very similar strugglers. So, struggles. So that's what I would say is just to know that you're not alone. Profound words of wisdom. Tom Spooner, thank you very much for your service, both on the job and in your new job. I really appreciate you very much. Thank you for what you do for the world and what you do for veterans, police officers, firefighters, EMTs, and paramedics, and those families that are with them as well. Thank you for joining me on one more thing before you go. It is my honor and, and, my privilege to be on here with you, Michael. Thank you for having me. If you are a warrior or someone you know is a warrior and is struggling and needs help, please contact Warrior's Heart at the following website, www.warriors.com forward slash get help. That's www.warriors.com forward slash get help or call 866 380 that's 866-380-0023. You are not alone. Thanks for listening to this episode of One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website at beforeyougopodcast.com. That's beforeyougopodcast.com. Tell your story, share your expertise, contribute to the blog, and subscribe to the newsletter. You can find us as well as subscribe to the program and rate us on your favorite podcast listening platform. And one more thing before you go. Have a nice day, have a nice week, and thanks for listening. One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life podcast, is a creation of One More Thing Productions, established 2010, all rights reserved.